a television program preceding the 1988 Winter Olympics featured blind skiers being trained for slalom skiing. Impossible as that sounds, paired with sighted skiers, the blind skiers were taught on the flats how to make right and left turns. When that was mastered, they were taken to the slalom slope, where they sighted partners skied beside them shouting left and right. As they obeyed the commands, they were able to negotiate the course and cross the finish line. Depending solely on the sighted skiers. Word. That's it. Depending on the sighted skiers' word. It was either complete trust or catastrophe. Complete trust or catastrophe. This is a perfect picture, church, of what it means for the Christian to walk by faith and not by sight. We choose to follow God's directions given in His Word and His promises by faith alone and choose not to be swayed by what we physically see. For we know, like the blind skier, that the voice in our ear is trustworthy and true. So there are many examples, church, in our life where we trust a voice from God, from outside of us, right? We trust the voice from outside of us. Many examples. If this is true, how much more, how much more should we trust with the all-powerful and all-wise and sovereign God of the universe has to say? When we trust God and live by faith and not by sight, God is glorified and Christ is magnified. This is the theme of today's message. When we trust God and live by faith and not by sight, God is glorified and Christ is magnified. Well, good morning, MBC. Another day living for the glory of God during the coronavirus pandemic. Good morning to all those who are visiting. I hope and pray that you are encouraged by the message today. Please feel free to invite others to join you. We'd love to have new people joining us at MBC during this time. We praise God for another Lord's Day, a day where Christians have always gathered together to meditate and celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We praise for technology. We praise God for technology, right? That although we, are long, we, we, we long to be in church together under one roof, worshiping, that we are able to still pray on the phone. We are still able to pray with social media apps and able to walk through God's word together like this this morning. Hopefully everyone knows today's text well after uh, those edifying devotionals, right, that we uh, were blessed to read this week. I just want to give a brief update on uh, Pastor Chris. He is still recovering in rehab, being strengthened by God's grace through the physical uh, therapy team's assistance and also his hard work. And we hope and pray he will be home soon. But until then, we continue to trust that God's timing is perfect and that God has a purpose in all of this. The elder team wants to thank all you guys who sent pictures over to us. We really appreciate that. If you haven't sent one over to myself or Elder Enrique, uh, maybe you can take a picture today, this morning, when you're watching the sermon or praying with your family later, just even just hanging out. And then you can get it over to us early this week. Our goal is to, to, to get them up next week as uh, on a slide 
type thing. And um, as an encouragement to the whole church that we're still walking, we're still walking with the Lord Jesus, even in these difficult times. Another brief announcement is we are working on getting Sunday school back. Praise God, right? Amen. We're working hard on getting the Sunday school running, and we'll be discussing the details today in our elder meeting. So please continue to check your emails for more information. And let's get to our text for the week. Amen. For those who are joining us who are not part of NBC, we have been going through the book of Romans since January. And today I will exposit Romans chapter 4, 19 through 25. That's Romans chapter 4, 19 through 25. I'll give you some time to grab your Bibles. It's Romans 4, 19 through 25. So let's pray and ask God to open up our hearts and our minds to this text. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord God. We thank you for this opportunity to walk through your word, Lord. We just pray, Holy Spirit, you will minister to us, that you will give us eyes to see, hearts to receive. Help us uh, continue to walk in the faith and cling to your Son, Father. Cling to Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be encouraged by this text. I pray those, God, that are watching, that haven't bowed the knee to your Son yet, who haven't trusted in your Son and trusted in you yet, as of late, I pray that today, this morning, God, you will do something remarkable, and today will be the day of salvation. God, we pray this prayer as a family of God. We know this prayer goes nowhere. It hits the ground. It's empty. Without your Son, we thank you, Jesus. We pray this prayer in Jesus' beautiful and powerful name. Amen. Okay, church, let's dive into the text. Romans chapter 4, 19 through 25. The Bible says, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the living God, church. This is the word of the living God. So let's get started. First point of the sermon. Faith begins with a fight. Faith begins with a fight. Notice verses 19 through 20. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No one belief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. 
Church, before we are strengthened in our faith, we must consider the reality before us, right? Whatever we're facing, we must consider that God is a God of miracles, and He often puts us up against some serious odds. So He can show how powerful and faithful He is. To show the purpose in our life is to glorify Him and, and, and magnify His Son and show how faithful and powerful God is. I mean, think of your conversion. When you, when you are contemplating on uh, repenting and trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Trusting in His promise that He would wash you clean and declare you not guilty. You are, as Scripture reminds us, a child of wrath. Right? Hater of God. Spiritually dead. There was no fear of God before your eyes. This is what Scripture tells us. But God, right, got the glory. God gave you eyes to see. Called new spiritual life into your heart out of nothing. He gave you a heart to not hate God, but see Him as a, as a gracious Savior as He is. Church, faith begins with a fight. And if you are saved today, God in His power won that fight and brought you to Himself as He worked out that miracle of faith where you received Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, we have been in chapter 4 for some time now, right? Apostle Paul introduces the church in Rome and us today that God saves people apart from works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. To show the Jewish congregates in Rome that this gospel of grace, through faith, is not an anomaly. That, that, that he Instead, he gives them an exhibit A of what justification by faith alone looks like. And what does he do? What, who does he use? He uses their father, Abraham. Today we will see this faith. We will look at this faith in Abraham's life. When he was justified, Paul gives us a glimpse of what Abraham went through. Remember Romans 4, 1 through 3. The Bible says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. When Paul says, what does the scripture say? He then quotes Genesis 15, 6, where Abraham was justified. Let me read that passage in Genesis uh, 15 to remind us of Abraham's conversion, to remind us what Paul's talking about here. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him 
as righteousness. Some of you guys know the story of Abraham. This wasn't the first time that Abraham spoke with God directly. Abraham was called from the Ur of Chaldees close to 25 years earlier. But this is the scene where Scripture tells us that he believed God. He believed God and was counted righteousness. This is where Abraham was saved. Right? This is where Abraham was saved. But Paul gives, now gives, he takes this, this scene that, that was a historical reality for the Jews, right? They knew the scriptures. He takes this scene and he gives us a, uh, gives the church a new covenant interpretation, right? Abraham, by God, was inspired. <clears throat> I mean, uh, Paul was inspired by God, by the Spirit of God. And he shows the church in Rome and us today not only what was historical, not only that was an eternal significance, not only this historical event, he didn't just show what it looked like, but he tells us at the end of this chapter that it all has been fulfilled in Christ. How blessed is that, that we are to be on this side, church, of redemptive history, seeing so much prophecy fulfilled and shadows being brought to light. So as we consider this point that faith begins with a fight, I wanted to give us a little context there. So notice again, faith begins with a fight. In 19 it says, Abraham considers his whole body, which is good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So our fight of faith, though the circumstances may differ, is not much different from Abraham. John Calvin explains it this way. Let us remember, he says, let us remember that the condition of us all is the same with that of Abraham. All things around us are in opposition to the promises of God. He promises immortality. We are surrounded with mortality and corruption. He declares that he counts us just. We are covered with sinners. He testifies that he is propitious and kind to us. Outward judgments threaten his wrath. What then is to be done? We must with closed eyes pass by ourselves and all things connected with us that nothing may hinder or prevent us from believing that God is true. Calvin says we stare down reality. We do stare down reality. We see it that it is in opposition to what God says at times. But he gives us the strength, church. He gives us the strength that in the end, we can say, I trust in you, God. I believe in you, God. So in verse 19, Paul shows that Abraham was in the midst of a storm. And doesn't cover his eyes and deny the reality. He doesn't do what the word of faith preachers encourage for us. To deny any negative and just speak positive into existence. No, Abraham stares into the face of reality, church, and accepts the truth of his circumstances. His storm is heavy. He is in the midst of the ocean, and all he has is a broken canoe, basically, right? Without paddles or a life preserver. Bottom line, outside of God stepping in powerfully, he was without hope. His hope of having children, of grandchildren, a legacy that he can leave behind, it's not just, it's not going to happen. Abraham looks at himself, he realizes he's almost 100 years old, 
Right, church? And realizes Sarah's not getting any younger either. Sarah's well advanced in age. She's been barren for decades. For, for her whole life, she's been barren. Remember, her, his, his body was as good as dead, the scripture says, and Sarah's womb was as good as dead as well. But church, Abraham, our spiritual father, our forerunner to what true saving faith is, did not deny the storms. He didn't he did deny that there was a spiritual battle, a fight ahead of him. My question to you is this. Are you denying the storms in your life? Trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation, maybe, right? Find, you find yourself in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic. So many loved ones are hurting and suffering, either physically or spiritually or financially, mentally. You might be ill yourself or, or believe that there's a possibility that you have been exposed to the, the virus. Maybe you're scared of losing a job. I'm wondering how, how will I pay my rent this month? How, how will you afford to care for your children? Church, as tempting as it is, it's so tempting to bury our heads in the sand. Or maybe try out one of those Word of Faith preachers tactics and try to live our best life now by looking in the mirror and resting in what we wish our reality was, right? This coronavirus will end tomorrow. My job will be secure. I will live a long, prosperous life. Etc. Maybe you're tempted to do that and call it faith. Church, this, is, this temptation for all, is for all of us. Maybe not following step-by-step step Joel Steen's uh, book on positive affirmations, but to step out of reality as a coping mechanism to just get through another day. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous, church. And the bottom line is, we don't find this in the Bible. It's not a biblical concept. I will give you a personal illustration. I want to share something with you guys. A, a testimony of my own. Maybe it will help you guys really understand. It will bring light to this, uh, this, this, this passage. Last week I started to have some trouble breathing normal. For a few nights in a row I got to the point where it, 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 became, it became very scary. I mean, it wasn't really, really bad where I had to call 911 or everything, but it was, it was shallow breathing, something that, uh, you know, is not normal for me. I didn't have a fever or anything or anything like that, any of the symptoms of coronavirus, but my breathing was, uh, was affected. <clears throat> it became very scary. I would be, I was doing something with my family one time, one night when it happened, and all of a sudden, my sore throat, which I had for a while now, became worse. I almost felt like my lungs were closing in. I know a lot of you guys know what that feels like. A bit. You know, again, not real bad, but it felt like they were closing in a bit. I would immediately run to my office or my bedroom uh, by myself. First, I went in my office. I ended up spending most of the time in the bedroom with my intention of praying. But I noticed right away, I started to get very anxious. I started to tell myself, this is all in your head. This is all in your head. I started telling myself, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Then it's almost like I needed and I wanted to deny the reality. Right, church? I wanted to deny the reality of what was going on. I didn't feel strong enough to deal with the reality. But praise God that when we are weak, our God is strong. 
Amen, right, family? So in hindsight, my temptation to escape reminded me of Psalm 55. I don't know if you guys know that, that psalm where David, in the midst of his enemies, his enemies are closing in on him, right? And he says, my heart is anguished within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. I wanted to fly away. That was me. I wanted to fly away. I wanted, if someone could just come in and put, put a chokehold on me, right? And put me to sleep. I actually experienced that when I was uh, in high school years back. Scary thing. But I just wanted to fall asleep. I just wanted to, to, to escape. I can't deal with this. Then I did something equally dangerous. I did something equally dangerous. I started praying. I started to tell myself to trust the Lord, right? That's good. That's the good part. But I started to tell myself, He won't let anything happen. This is definitely going to get better, right? There's no way I'm going to get the coronavirus, right? Just think positive. You know, God loves you. My question to you guys is this. Where is that in the Bible? God does love me. I'm saved. He loves me tremendously in Christ. But where is that in the Bible that I won't suffer? Where is that in the Bible that, that, that the children of God will not suffer? Actually, the Bible says the opposite. Right? Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. What does he say after that? Take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? But church, by God's grace, he brought me to himself through faith. Praise God for the, for, for the end result of this. He brought me to himself through faith. I was convicted of that wrong thinking. And he strengthened me through obedience, just like he did with Abraham. God's promises helped me in the fight. God's spirit carried me through with joy. And I, it was so amazing. I praise God. I praise God for His power. But I'm going to keep you guys in suspense for a little while longer, as far as this uh, illustration goes. And I'll get back to that testimony when we uh, talk about the next point. So church, we need to be careful that when we walk in faith, we don't deny the storms. God will fight for us. But first, we need to recognize that there is a fight. Again, when we are weak, God is strong. Abraham looked at the reality before him. He had a promise that he would have children equal to all the stars of the sky. But there he was, close to 100 years old, with an old, barren wife next to him. Right? What do we do? What does he do? How can this be? How can this promise be? But Abraham's faith was ready. It was ready to fight. Abraham's faith was empowered by the sovereign Lord of God. What does he do? Our second point illustrates what he does. The second point illustrates what Abraham did. The second point of the sermon is faith rests in the promises of God. Faith rests in the promises of God. Notice verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, No one belief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do 
what he had promised. God was able to do what he promised. Notice, church, his trust was not in positive thoughts. His trust was not in denying reality. His trust was not in anything else but God himself. And specifically, it was in God's power, in God's promise, in God's purpose that Abraham trusted in. Abraham believed God, that God had the power to do what he said. Abraham believed the promise that God had given to him. And in realizing that promise, Abraham knew that God had a plan of which he was part of. And he trusted in all those things. Do you remember the promise that God gave to Abraham? We talked about it earlier, right? He took him outside, told him to look up at the star, count all the stars. In case you guys are confused about which, but that's the promise. That's one of the promises. That's the promise that we're talking about here. The Lord said, so shall your offspring be. Now that wouldn't be too difficult to believe, right? Except for the fact that he was 100 years old. And his wife was about 90 and barren. So the very things that could have pulled him down into unbelief, the facts of his life were working against the promise of God, like his age, his wife's age, had no effect upon his faith. In fact, if anything, he grew stronger, as verse 20 says. And in doing so, God was greatly glorified. And Paul is calling us this morning to follow the faith of Abraham, church. Church, this is how God will be glorified and Christ will be magnified. Abraham grew strong in his faith, fully convinced that God will do what he promised. Douglas Moo commenting on this portion of scripture states this. Paul is not saying that Abraham never had momentary hesitations, but that he avoided a deep-seated, permanent attitude of distrust, distrust in the promises of God. Abraham believed God in the face of discouraging facts, and despite the knowledge that was God, that what God had promised could not happen naturally. In fact, Paul says Abraham grew stronger in faith as time passed. This is from Douglas Moo. This reminds, I'll tell you, this, this, this point, this, this portion of the scripture reminds, should remind us of someone else in scripture. Right? Who else faced astronomical odds? Who else do we find in the word of God while coming before the promise of God? I know there's many. But I'm thinking of another one who was barren, well, was a virgin. Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary, right? Abraham believed because he knew that the situation, namely the barrenness of Sarah, was not a factor in God keeping his powerful promise. Abraham's faith did not depend on his circumstances. It depended on the power and the faithfulness of God. This event here, though, of Sarah having a baby is a prophetic picture Right? A, a type, if you will, of another miraculous birth. If Abraham and Sarah having a baby is amazing, what about the virgin birth? What about Virgin Mary having a baby? The Bible tells us this amazing historical event in Luke. Luke 1, 34-38. The Bible says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived the Son, 
And this is the sixth month with her, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Never been with a man. Right? And he promises, God promises, that he, she will carry and give birth to a child. And, and, and this child will be called Holy, the Son of God. And her relative, who is known to be barren and older in age, will have a son as well. It looks like Mary believed God, right? Mary believed God was more powerful than the storms that she was in as well. Church, our God has always been, will always be powerful and sovereignly in control. And, and faithful Mary believed God, didn't she? She believed even though from a human perspective it was impossible. What did she say? Let it be according to to your word. That was her response. She didn't say, let it be according to my ability to conceive as a virgin. But let it be according to your word. Abraham believed God. Mary believed God. Are you believing God? So our second point indicates our faith is strengthened as we, as by God's grace, we remember that God is more powerful than anything else. And we rest in His glorious promises. Church, faith rests in the promises of God. Faith rests in the promises of God. Abraham was declared righteous by believing in God's promise. Looking forward to Christ. And we are saved by believing God's promise. Looking back to Christ. But it doesn't stop there. What is our theme passage for the book of Romans state? The theme message. What's the theme passage for this whole book of Romans? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. From faith for faith, we are to live by faith, church. Notice verse 21 says, Fully convinced that God was able to do what He promised. Notice Abraham wasn't fully convinced uh, that the storm before him wasn't there. He wasn't fully convinced that just maybe his situation was, wasn't as bad as it appears. Right? He wasn't fully convinced that all of a sudden, maybe a, a, a small group came, a small group of, of, of men came before him and shared the story of many couples who had families even in Abraham and Sarah's age. No, church, the situation didn't change. Not in reality or in Abraham's mind. But what did come, what did enter the scene, was Abraham's faith that, that, that God is more powerful than any storms could ever face. God is more powerful than any reality that we can see, that we can find ourselves in. The Bible confirms this in many ways, church, many ways. Our storms in life are heavy. They're heavy. And they weigh on us in many ways. Our storms in life are so heavy, the realities before us at times are too difficult. They're too difficult for us to bear. As I was explaining earlier in my testimony, but the Bible says God is all-powerful. 
The Bible says God is all-powerful and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Right? That's what it says in this picture right here, by the way. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God can do all, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. When we live by faith, as the theme states, when we live by faith, not by sight, God is glorified and Christ is magnified. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Let's see what God gives us through His Word. Daniel 4.35 All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can war off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Job, in the aftermath of all his suffering, cried out to God, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah 46 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, What does he say? My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose, church. Church, God is all-powerful. When He makes a promise, no one can stand in His way. Abraham believed God's promise. In spite of the circumstances before him, he, he decided simply to trust that God is who He says He is. He lived by faith, not by sight. Now back to my testimony, church. <clears throat> Here I am, struggling, right? Breathing, struggling with my breathing. My stomach's starting to act up as well. The fear is there. The fear is creating a bit of anxiety. God brings me to Himself, as I hinted earlier, just like the worship song says, I ran to the Father, right? I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I'll run to the Father again and again. Oh, I wish I had Brother Nick's voice. I would have sang that right there probably. <laughs> oh, I ran to the Father, church. I ran to my Heavenly Father. So at this point, church, Abraham didn't waver in unbelief, as we saw, and I didn't waver in unbelief. I grew strong in my faith just as Abraham this time my thinking was right, but God gets all the glory. Because we know, as I just explained earlier, look what happens when I'm in my flesh, right? Look what happens when we are in our flesh. But God shows up. God spoke to me, not audibly, not audibly like Abraham, but through his word that I have carved in my heart through memorization. What does our memory verse tell us? A little uh, pop quiz for the church here. In Romans 8, right? For those who live according to the flesh, what? Set their minds on things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on things of the Spirit. Right? For to set their mind on the flesh is what? Death. But to set their mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. The lies that came to my mind earlier was Satan tempting me to walk in the flesh. Make no, make no mistake about it. Right? But the Spirit gives life to The same Spirit that indwells all of us is the same Spirit that inspired the Holy Scriptures, the promises of God in our Bible, right? 
Oh, God is so good. So what I did is I rested in them. I rested in those promises. God told me through His Word that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. How much peace that gave me. Whatever was going on, God was not punishing me. Right? Christ already took my place on the cross. There's no punishment. There's no punishment. That's not what was going on. The cross gave me hope, church. And then Romans 28 through 30, one of my favorite passages, reminded me that God's working something out for good, making me His Son, making me more like His Son I met. Right? He's molding me more like His Son through that. As He loved me before the foundation of the world, He chose to save me. The golden chain of salvation, He loved me before the foundation of the world. He chose to save me, placed His intimate love on me. He called me out of the world into the kingdom, declared me righteous in His sight. And then the last part, that glorious promise that I will be glorified. That there will be a day of glorification, which is a promise in 8.30 that Jesus will one day come back and give His church those who are trusting in Him alone will give us new glorified bodies devoid of all these health issues as we reign with Him. And the best part, church, reigning with Him and seeing Him clearly, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? God is so powerful. So powerful. So faithful. He promises He will never leave us. He will never leave us. And once again, I experienced that truth that day in a powerful way. I might not have known what was going to happen, but I knew that in the midst of it, that God was with me. I remember feeling so relaxed. I took the advice that, that Sister uh, Danielle Garner and Pastor Chris gave me years, years back. And you guys, if you never heard of this, it's, it's some good advice. That Another good thing to do when it seems the whole world is, is closing in on you, to pray for others. I found myself relaxed all of a sudden at peace, praying for the church. Praying for others. And the fact is, my breathing was not much better. My breathing wasn't much better. My stomach was hurting. It was in knots as well, right? But it was well with my soul, church. I eventually prayed to my wife, uh, briefly had some tea, fell asleep while obeying Philippians 4. Eight, I started to dwell on whatever's pure, whatever's holy, whatever's true, whatever's beautiful, and dwelling on Christ Himself. So, church, I still have a sore throat. <clears throat> Um, I haven't had an episode like that since. I will, of course, continue to see my doctor via, via Zoom to get at the bottom of what she thinks, you know, at this point she thinks it might be allergies or, you know, maybe asthma. Maybe I got asthma. Who knows? But I will say in hindsight, as tough as it was, the moment right now I praise God for it. I praise God for it. I praise God for you guys who prayed, who knew about this and, uh. My faith was tested. Make no mistake about it. Just like Abraham. My faith was tested and it was found to be true. Right? Like Abraham, God's power worked faith in me as I rested in the promises of God. Alright? So I ask you guys to, I, I encourage you guys to rest in the promises of God. Right? Talk to your mentors. Some of you guys, who you might not know, you know where you find many of the promises of God. You find them in scripture. But as far as what locations and everything, um, talk to your mentors about it. Right? And um, oftentimes, you know, they'll, they'll remind you where you can find them and maybe help you. Just look at Romans 8, right? I would encourage you guys to continue to memorize Romans 8. God's providence is amazing that that's what we've been memorizing. It's perfect for, uh, 
for this time that we're going through. We also learned in our, uh, connected to this illustration, we learned in our mentoring, this, uh, the mentoring teaching that <clears throat> the church put together this month, we learned that God uses times like this. He uses times like this for particularly for us to, to grow spiritually and for us to, it's like a testing from God and, and we grow, we do grow. First Peter says it this way, In this you rejoice, though not for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Right? So that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, <laughs> imagine that, right? What you're going through, more precious than gold. That, that, that trial, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So my encouragement to you guys, again, is uh, if you're saved, if you're going through a storm, like Abraham, by God's grace, like he gave me the power to do, trust in God's promises. Right? There are so many of them. So many of them. So many of them. So as I close this, uh, this point, church, again, Abraham considered his own body, considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb when he came face to face with God's promise. Abraham teaches us today that faith is not burying our heads in the sand, right? Or making ourselves believe what we know isn't true. On the contrary, faith is reasoning. It's reasoning faith. It's reasoning trust. There can be no believing without right thinking. And faith rests on the promises of God. Now the third point of the sermon that we're going to talk about now is, that we see in this text, is faith saves us from God's wrath and effects of sin. Right? Faith saves us from God's wrath and the effects of sin. Notice verse 21 and 22. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was, and look what it says there, counted to him as righteousness. Right? So because of Abraham's faith, his saving faith, fully convinced that God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do. God has credited or counted him as righteous. We have learned in the first three chapters of Romans, church, that we are sinners in dire need of a Savior. For all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. And Apostle Paul took the rug out from under us, right? And showed us that, that all our works are nothing but filthy rags in God's sight. There is no salvific saving value in our works. Because in the end, it says, Romans 3.20 says, Romans 3.20 says, For by works, of the, excuse me, by works of the law, no human being, no human being will be justified in the sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But God provides the righteousness we need, church, Right? And, and, and he does this through faith as he credits to our account righteousness when we trust in him. Namely, that righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. This is the doctrine of imputation. Am I sound familiar? We've talked about it the past few weeks. Nick mentioned it. I mentioned it a month ago. The word counted comes from that, the original Greek word logesimai, logesimai, in which we also derive the word count, credit, impute, Right? We see it here in verse 22. Abraham's faith is counted, or it's credit, as righteousness. So imputation is a big idea for Paul. That's why I'm bringing it up again. It's a huge idea. There are 40 instances in the Bible. I'll give you a little example. 40 of them. 
where logizomai is used, and 20 out of that 40 are in Romans. 20 out of 40 in Romans. And 11, get this, 11 of them, 11 of them are in this chapter. In this chapter alone, in chapter 4. So the idea, you guys have to get this, the idea of God crediting us righteousness is of vital importance for our justification before God, for us to be saved and forgiven and reconciled to God. So again, the word means to calculate. It means to calculate, to put into it an account. So what is being imputed? What is being credited to believers? What is it? Righteousness. Righteousness means to be accepted to God, right? Righteousness being accepted, meaning His standard of holiness or, or, his, or measuring the standard of God. Righteousness is being credited to us. Righteousness that satisfies God is being poured into our account. Let me give you an illustration of this that might help. Let's say you received a letter from the bank, okay? I know it's always a fun time, right? For everybody, you get a letter from the bank. There are some issues. There's some issues, though. We see with that in your account, in regards to your mortgage, right? The bank says, if you don't come up with $10,000 because of this issue, they see there's a discrepancy there, because of the $10,000 that, that, that's missing, if you don't come up with that $10,000 before tomorrow, you will lose your house. You don't have that money. What are you going to do? The bank calls and says, maybe a couple days later, and he says, don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the money. There's someone who put that $10,000 in your account. So now it has your name on it. It is reckoned as being yours. That money which has been given by grace from someone else is yours in your account. Although you didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. Someone freely gave what was theirs and claimed it to you. And now you have what's needed to satisfy the bank. This is an illustration of, of what God does for sinners. God sees men and women devoid of righteousness. We have no righteousness to give God of our own. We cannot have, God cannot allow us into heaven without that righteousness, right? But He gives it to us. He places it into our account. A righteousness that we didn't pay for, we didn't earn, we didn't work for. Amen? <clears throat> so, Paul is demonstrating in this chapter that this doctrine of justification, the imputation of just of righteousness, is nothing new. Right? A, a Christian doctrine. It's not just something that Paul just conjured up, or a new thing, and, uh, something that's new for the new covenant, but a biblical doctrine that has always been God's. It's always been God. It's always been God's way of dealing with sinners. God's imputation of righteousness of sinners apart from works has always been God's way of receiving sinners. Make sure you get that. For those who are watching, you maybe heard that for the first time, right? Make sure you understand that this is what the Bible teaches. And again, why Abraham? Why would Paul hammer into our head that this is how Abraham was declared righteous? By faith alone. The righteousness that he received he received because of that instrument of faith. But why Abraham? He was the father of the Jewish nation. Paul's saying, if you're going to be a follower of Abraham, you, you, you may, if you're going to be a follower of Abraham, you need so much not to follow his circumcision, right? But his faith. 
You need his faith. You need to know how and why he was justified. Abraham was known for a life of obedience. If his works weren't good enough, how foolish are we to think that ours are? If that man could have satisfied God's demands of righteousness, then who am I to think that I could do otherwise? He was justified before his circumstances, as Nick taught us in a couple weeks ago. He was justified before the circumcision. So in that sense, he had a relationship with God, with the uncircumcised, as well as the circumcised. He is justified as a Gentile, so Gentiles can look and say, he holds up for us that standard by which God receives sinners. So church, faith saves us from God's wrath and from our sin. Because Christ took upon himself the wrath we deserve, and his perfect life was credited to our account. This is the doctrine of imputation, which is at the center of the justification by faith alone. <clears throat> so what does the text say? What does the text say? Again, fully convinced. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteous. Why was his faith counted as righteous? Because he believed God. Theologian and writer Jerry Bridges, he gives us a deep, yet I think a clear definition of this powerful truth. Jerry Bridges says, As we come to Christ, then, empty-handed, claiming no merit of our own, but clinging by faith to His blood and righteousness, we are justified. We pass immediately from a state of condemnation and spiritual death to a state of pardon, acceptance, and the sure hope of eternal life. Our sins are blotted out and we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In our standing before God, we will never be more righteous, even in heaven, than we were the day we trusted Christ. Or, we are now. Obviously, in our daily experience, we fall short of the perfect righteousness God requires. But because He has imputed to us the perfect righteousness of His Son, He now sees us as being just as righteous as Christ Himself. Amen? Faith saves us from God's wrath, church, and sin. Our next point of the sermon is faith unites us to the family of God. Faith unites us to the family of God. Notice verse 23 and then 24a. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake only, but for ours also. How glorious is this promise, church? Faith has always been the instrument that God uses to bring us to Him. We are united by faith. Romans 4, 16, 17a says it this way. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to who? To all His offspring. Not only the inerrant of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, verse 17 says, I have made you the father of many nations. So church, justification by faith is necessary for the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. As we see here, and we see in verse 16 that I just read, the promise of the inheritance of the Gentile was central in God's promise to Abraham. So there has, there, there has to be a way to fulfill it. And God had promised that the nations would be his children. And so there had to be a way for God to fulfill that. How did he do it? By faith. Think of it, church. God made a promise to Abraham 4,000 years ago, right? That his spiritual seed would be numberless. And that he would be the father of many nations. And today, 2 
billion people on this planet worship the seed of Abraham. They worship Christ. Why? Because that seed that was promised is Jesus Christ and all those who are united to him by faith are recipients of his blessing. Christ is the fulfillment. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our prophets by, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He speaks to us through Christ. He's the heir. Amen? Stephen Wellam, Dr. Stephen Wellam says it this way. Quote, We should understand Abraham's seed, the true singular seed, who is Jesus, the fulfillment of the seed promise first given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. In case you guys don't know that verse, it says in Genesis 3.15, uh, theologians call it the first gospel, the Evangelion. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So Wilhelm goes on to say, as the Bible story unfolds, we learn that it is only through the true seed of Abraham, Christ Jesus, that believers from all nations become children of Abraham. Jesus, get this, Jesus circumcises the hearts of all those who have faith in Him. Praise the Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. Faith has always been the way God brings us to Himself, and we are united by faith in Christ, and it will always be a way, right? God brings us to Himself. Every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every single person who wants to flee the wrath of God and enter into a relationship with God for all eternity must come to God with empty hands. Must come to God with empty hands. Trusting in the promises of God. And through that, they will become heirs to the promise. I love the story Dr. Harry Ironside told to his congregation about a time when he was visiting a church for Sunday, on, a, on Sunday school. He was on vacation, went to Sunday school, and he shares this story. I love it. It says, <clears throat> he's, on the, he's in Sunday school. It says, the Sunday school teacher, while on vacation, the Sunday school teacher asked the class, how were people saved in the Old, time, Old Testament times? After a pause, one man replied, by keeping the law. That's right, said the teacher. But Mr. Ironside interrupted. My Bible says, my Bible says, right, that by deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. The teacher was a bit embarrassed, so he said, well, does someone else have an idea? Another student replied, they were saved by bringing sacrifices to God. Yes, that's right, the teacher said. And he tried to go on with the lesson at that point. But Dr. Ironside <laughs> interrupted again. I can picture Pastor Chris doing something like this, right? <laughs> My Bible says that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. By this time, the unprepared teacher was sure the visitor knew more about the Bible than he did. Right? So he said, well, you tell me. Tell me then. How? You tell me our people saved in the Old Testament. And Dr. Ironside explained that they were saved by faith, the same way people are saved today. 21 times in Hebrews 11, he told the teacher, you find the same words, by faith. 
If you are a Jew, you are a child of Abraham physically, but you are a child, are you? That's what he asked him. Are you a child of Abraham spiritually? That's what's vital. Abraham is the father of all who believe in Jesus Christ who are justified by faith. If you are a Gentile, you can never be a natural descendant of Abraham. But you can be one of his spiritual descendants. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That was the, uh, the illustration with the iron side. So the Apostle Paul says a similar thing to the church of Galatia, right? As he pushed back against the Jewish Christians who believed you needed to first become a Jew through circumcision and obedience to law become a Christian, Paul states this in uh, Galatians 3. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither no, there is neither Jew or Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So church, faith, it is faith that unites us to God. In the midst of the coronavirus, we should glory in this truth, right? The fact that there are many people in different churches and denominations all over the world online worshiping God who believe in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That God is holy. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? If there's somebody watching right now who's an unbeliever, you might not have heard what the gospel is. I will give you the gospel. What is the gospel that we are united to? God is holy and we're not. Right? That we stand condemned before an all-holy and an all-just and powerful God. And there is nothing we can do about it. Even our filth, our works, our, our religious duties are filthy rags in God's sight. But the good news is that that holy and just and, and, and righteous God who is angry with the wicked every day, He's also loving. He's also graciously merciful. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, on a rescue mission to save His people, His bride, the church, that He chose before the foundation of the world from sin, from the wrath of God. The Lord Jesus Christ lived that perfect life, the life we failed to live, and died the death, the horrific, the bloody death that we deserved. And then three days later, because death could not hold the God-man who never sinned once in thought, in word, in deed, he raised them from the grave, proving to be the only sacrifice that is sufficient to satisfy the holy wrath of God. Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, calling all people, calling all people to repent and trust in him alone for salvation. As Abraham did by empty faith, you have to come to God by faith. Alone, with empty hands, trusting in Christ alone. If we respond this way, we can be reconciled to God. As our sins are credited to our Redeemer Jesus, and all of His perfect life is credited to our account. It is finished. That's why you hear Christians say all the time, It is finished. That's what Christ said on the cross. We are, those who believe in the gospel, our family of God. We need to diligently, during this time, fulfill the Great Commission Church. Right? Bringing more sinners into the family of God. We are united by faith. United by faith, church. Let's shine that light of Christ to the world. 
During this time, let's lean on each other, praying diligently together for God to show up in a powerful way during this coronavirus pandemic. The last point of the sermon will act as a megaphone to the gospel that I just proclaimed right there. The fifth point of the sermon is faith finds its foundation in the work of Christ. Faith finds its foundation in the work of Christ. Abraham lived by faith, not by sight, glorifying God. And we are sons and daughters of Abraham. If we too believe that God says, does what he says he will do, and we will still, we will magnify Christ. But make no mistake about it, no one can get into heaven by Abraham's shirt tails, right? Nobody can get into heaven through Abraham. You cannot get into heaven because of your parents. If there's some children that are watching right now, right? You are not going to be able to have Abraham's faith because of your parents. Nobody is born into the family of God. All of us are in the same dilemma. We all fall short of God's glory and need a Savior. What did Paul tell us in Romans 3.19 and then in 21 and 26? Paul said this, What then are we Jews any better off? Right? What are you, children who have Christian parents any better off? Growing up in the church, not at all. Not at all. For we already charge that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not one. Friends, this is from the Bible. This is God's word about mankind. We all sin. We don't fear God. We turn aside. But then 3:21 through 26 tells us this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for who? For all who believe. For there's no distinction Right? Just like the last point, there's no distinction. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So church, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. But make no mistake about it, right? What was credit to his account? What was it? What is the foundation of Abraham's faith? It was the work that Christ did. It was Christ's righteousness. Faith found its foundation in the work of Christ. The promise has been fulfilled. The true seed has come. And all the promises of God have their yes in Him, Jesus. Amen? Verse 25 and 24. Two last verses of this passage. 24 and 25. But the words that was counted to Him were not written for His sake only, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, 
who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Church, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. Our willful rebellion against God has earned a place in hell. Believe that. Our willful rebellion against God has earned us a place in hell, but God rescues us by sending His Son in our place. Dr. R.C. Sproul has a famous illustration that tells a story to help explain these final verses here in chapter 4. It's an illustration. Imagine a child comes into an ice cream store. So picture an ice cream store, a child comes in, right? He gets an ice cream cone with two scoops. The owner says to him that it will be $2. The child begins to cry because his mother only gave him $1 for the ice cream. So a man's sitting there, overhearing steps in and gives the owner the other dollar. In this case, there was no moral law broken. Think about it. There's no moral law broken because the remaining debt was paid, right? It was paid by the man. Beloved, <laughs> church, family of God, that is not us. That's not us. And not, this is more like us. Imagine another young man runs into the ice cream store. He grabs a bucket of ice cream and he runs out while the owner is chasing him, yelling, thief, thief. The police apprehends the boy. They show up on the scene. They apprehend him. They bring him back to the store, right? Asking the boy, asking the person who works there, is this the boy who stole your ice cream? The owner says it is. The police ask the owner if he would like to press charges at that point. Technically, this is petty larceny at least. A man stands up and asks if he can pay for the tub of ice cream. The owner's not under, get this, the owner is not under obligation to accept any payment and can, by law, press charges. Right? Do you see the difference there? The first was an honest mistake without any rebellion or sin. The second was not a mistake, but a decision to steal. We are the second. Right? Not just the store owner, it's, it, now, now just like the store owner, it, first it was an honest mistake without any rebellion of sin. That's not us, right? That's not us. The second one, that was more like us. When we sin, we transgress God's law. We give God a high hand. We sin against God, right? The amazing truth is that God had no obligation to accept our payment. No obligation. But He did. The amazing truth and amazing mercy of God is He did. He did accept the payment. The Bible says this, again, In Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When Jesus died, church, our debt was paid. And when God raised Him from the dead, He said, I will accept your payment for all who believe. That's basically what the resurrection was. It's God saying, I accept your payment. On the cross, the payment was made, the tomb, forgiveness was expressed, and justification was accomplished. The resurrection was God's demonstration to unjust people that He accepts the full payment and for the moral debt that we have earned. We see while God is holy and righteous, 
right? He's also merciful. You see that? He's also merciful. He's the store owner who accepts the payment. He is the store owner that accepts that payment. Notice there's another aspect to this though. The store owner could decide not to press charges and accept the man's payment. God had to do indefinitely more to accept the payment. He had to still press charges, right? The holiness of God, the justice of God takes care of that. He had to. Jesus was charged with our sin. Amen? Our sin punished, our sin, the payment was made. Now God can forgive and still maintain His holiness. He can now be holy and merciful, the just and the justifier. My friends who are listening, maybe you're not a Christian, you just came upon, somebody invited you to listen to this sermon. Make no mistake about it, Christianity is the only religion the only religion that can answer the question of how a holy and just God can forgive all a sinner's transgressions without compromising His holiness and justice. Christianity is the only religion that can answer the question, how can a holy God forgive all a sinner, all the sins, all the sins of a sinner, right? Forgive them all while not compromising His holiness and justice. It's the only religion that answers that. Bottom line, justice and mercy meet at the cross. Justice and mercy meet at the cross. So in closing, church, in closing, it is faith that saves. Amen? It is faith that saves. God gave it to Abraham. My question to you is this. Do you have this faith? Is your faith being strengthened during this time. Has this faith saved you even? Has this faith saved you? Is your faith resting in the promises of God? Is your faith united to the body of Christ? And the last question, is Christ, is Jesus Christ the foundation of your faith. These are questions. They encourage you to ask. It's the challenge of the sermon. The truth is this church. When we trust God. And live by faith. Not by sight. God is glorified. And Christ is magnified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, so much for your word. Lord, we would be so lost without you, without your grace, without your mercy, and without your word. We would just be grasping at straws, God, just trying to come up with religions like a lot of people are doing. And We thank you, Lord, that your word is true, that you have preserved your word. We thank you that your spirit has entered into us by faith, and we can understand and submit to your word, Lord. So help us during this time, God. Help us not just grow in the likeness of, uh, of your Son, but help us uh, continue to live for your kingdom and continue to shine a light to the world and exalt your Son, magnify your Son's name to our neighbors, to our friends. We love you, God. We praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, church. I love you guys. To God be the glory. Amen.